Well, I don't know. Prob of course, it could come up a couple of inches. That's fine. Thanks. Yes, that's right. Thanks. That's easier on my eyes. Okay. I have a lengthy reading for you. Good to read God's Word, isn't it? Life, power, flows from the Word of God. And I want to turn you to something that has already been introduced to us in that chorus, that worship song we've just been singing. I want to read to you from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I'm sure you're all very familiar with it. <clears throat> and I'm reading from the Apple version. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them Tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, <clears throat> the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language, or as it literally is, their own dialect. Precise dialect. Then they were all amazed, no wonder, and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of... It was there a moment ago. Yes. We hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. <coughs> so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in those days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified 
and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, you will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak to you freely of the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. <clears throat> to sit on his throne. Keeps disappearing, Right? The, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children. And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's good stuff, isn't it? Amen. Amen. That verse 33, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And I want to talk to you this morning about church as God intends it to be. Something very visible and something clearly audible. Did you know there are 340, at least 340 Christian denominations in the UK? Almost 51,000 Christian churches, right? each of them purporting to represent the church of Jesus Christ on earth. So from the simplicity of uh, the first uh, days of the early church, for two centuries actually, they had no buildings, and during that time was the greatest advance the church has ever made throughout the world. So we've arrived now at this bewildering multiplicity of churches and organizations, all supposedly founded, uh, and proclaiming uh, the same truth. So obviously, we've all got our opinions about what the church should look like. And there's no sh never been any shortage of opinions regarding the order and structure and the ministries. But I pose you a question this morning. Have you ever wondered, what does God think his church on earth should look like? Hmm? Challenging question, isn't it? Well, I do think, this is my deep-held conviction, I do think that there is a very clear answer to that 
and it's right here in the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, I don't wish to sound dogmatic, but it is my deeply held conviction. And for this reason, see, uh, there's a a principle that God has given us. God is so kind, he wants to help us to understand him and his ways on earth. And so when he has done something special, significant, that he wants replicated by his people in order for his blessings to be perpetuated... He has made clear in the very first occurrence of that thing how it is to be continued. Let me give you an example. The first time that God had to deal with sin in the Garden of Eden, he made very clear that there was only one way sin could ever be dealt with, and that was by the shedding of blood. No remission of sins is possible without the shedding of blood. So all the way from Eden right through to the cross, What was there seen in that first occurrence was perpetuated. It's what some theologians or Bible expositors have called called the law of first occurrence. God writes into it the first time he does it, the principles, the vital elements by which it is to be perpetuated. And so here's another example for us in the Acts of the Apostles. In Acts 10 and 11, where the apostles were happy to authenticate the outpouring of the Spirit on the Gentiles as a a genuine move of God, because they saw it was identical to what had happened on the day of Pentecost. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they, the apostles, took that as the measure for all that was to follow. It was, if you like, the law of first occurrence. There, written into that mighty outpouring of the Spirit, was how it was to be perpetuated. And I say that because I do believe it's important. Things can become easily diluted. We want to accommodate people. Yes, I'm full of the Spirit, but I've never spoken in tongues. Yes, well, of course, the Spirit of God is real to everyone who is born again. Right? impossible to be born again without the agency of God the Holy Spirit and when it comes to the infilling of the Spirit it's possible to have all manner of great blessings and great movings of God in your spirit but the baptism of the Holy Spirit if we're going to be true to the word of God it's laid out very clearly there in Acts chapter 2 they were all filled and they all spoke with tongues as the Spirit of God gave utterance to them and that first occurrence uh, was the measure, measuring line for the apostles. So when the Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles, which was absolutely dumbfounding to the Jewish apostles, how could this be that God would work outside of his ancient people? But they said, look, here's the reality of it. It was just like as we were filled on the day of Pentecost. In that case, glory be to God. God has opened the door to the Gentiles. So this law of first occurrence is there to be seen in the Word of God as a help from the Almighty to understand His ways and dealings with us as we journey in the work of His kingdom. And here in Acts 2, and was the, the first occasion in which people experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but also it was the first time the church of Jesus Christ was displayed to a watching world, Right? This was the first time that the church of Jesus Christ had been on public display. This was the birthday of the church, right? This was the public unveiling of the visible expression of God's kingdom authority and power on earth. 
brought in to confront the kingdom of darkness and to win great trophies of grace by the millions. Amen? By the millions. And so the characteristics of the church seen here in, in Acts 2, in this first public display, they reveal those vital elements that God intends to be seen in every generation and in every nation. What does God think his church should look like? Well, it's right here in Acts chapter 2. Now, there was no one in that Jerusalem crowd who realized that displayed before them by this 120 uh, was the greatest world-changing force ever let loose on the planet. Amen. Thank God for the church of Jesus Christ. This is God's great instrument for bringing about transformation in this world, in hearts and in communities. This was the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophetic revelation uh, that uh, Jesus had voiced to Peter. I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And I like the other translation, will never be able to resist the mighty, mighty batterings of the church of Jesus Christ. I like that, don't you? And what Jesus had, Jesus had prophesied to Peter, here was the beginning of that fulfillment. And thank God it's ongoing right to this very day. Now, in verse 33, he says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Right? We, so there was something very audible and very visible to the masses. He has poured out that which you now see and hear. Vital question, what did they see and what did they hear? Okay? Now, we can't cover every detail here, but I want to hit three vital points here this morning, and surprisingly, uh, but perhaps very obviously, the first significant marker for church as God intends is supernatural worship. Supernatural worship, right? It was the second of the three most important Jewish feasts that had brought together these thousands of devout followers from all over the Roman Empire. They were the faithful devotees who had responded to that age-old command to celebrate the, fifth, the, the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after Pentecost. And uh, the ceremony had obviously been played out annually from the time of Moses. The script was very well worn. Everyone knew what to expect. The rituals had been handed down from generation to generation. And every, everyone there in Jerusalem at the, on this occasion, they were expecting the same old, same old. They knew uh, in precise detail everything that was going to occur. But before the first day of that celebration could get underway, there's uproar in the temple precincts. Don't you love God when he's at work? Hey, he knows how to upset the apple cart, but he does it for our eternal good, right? The usual solemnity of that occasion was shattered by the sound of those loud, excited voices. And the crowd rushed to see what all the fuss was about. And they were confronted by this sight. 120 loudly, uninhibitedly engaged in supernatural worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right. 
How would you evangelize the world? How would you reach the lost? Supernatural worship, a very powerful and significant part to how God works here through his church on earth. There's nothing low-key about this divine intervention. This was God's way of dramatically announcing the old is gone and the new has come. And this is it. Hallelujah. This is it. This was God manifesting his life and power through his worshipping church. Now, protests and demonstrations were nothing new to these people in Jerusalem. But what was utterly bewildering uh, was that these people were magnifying God in dialects that they knew were not their natural tongue. Right? Completely blew away the, all the religious solemnity of, of this occasion. And they recognized something supernatural. How can they be speaking in our precise dialect? We have an Irish friend. I haven't seen him for a long time now, but some of you know him, McNamee, Michael McNamee, broad Irish. He can speak several languages, so he thinks. <laughs> but he can speak Portuguese, he can speak a bit of French and a bit of Spanish. You will never, ever, ever uh, be able to fail to see he's Irish. Yes. He's Irish. Portuguese is an, in an Irish accent is a strange, strange sound. <laughs> yes. The distinctive thing on this occasion was there was nothing other than the precise dialect articulated supernaturally so that everyone of those about 20 different language groups recognized immediately what was, that this was supernatural. Right. Coming from the other side of Office Dyke, we've got your ear tuned. You know which part of the valleys certain people have come from. There's a twang to their Welsh accent. And these people knew, hey, these are all Galileans. But what we are hearing is our precise dialect. How is this possible? This is beyond belief. It's too wonderful to, to understand. What they saw and, uh, and heard on the day of Pentecost was heaven on earth. Amen. What they saw and heard was the signs and sounds of a glorious victory celebration. Uninhibited, joyful declarations in tongues proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord. They heard them magnifying God. They heard them praising the Almighty in their own tongue. Right? This supernatural worship, very powerful. And that's church as God intends it to be. And the more, friends, the more we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the greater will be the signs and sounds of that victory celebration, paving the way for gospel impact. Amen? Right there in that stark moment was, this, was the visible contrast between the letter that kills and the spirit that gives life. There was the crowd holding on to all their ceremonies and their rituals. And here is the church of Jesus Christ born into this glorious supernatural liberty. Hallelujah. Expressing what only God has created within them in a way that only he can make possible by the anointing and empowering of God the Holy Spirit. These, those tongues expressed in supernatural worship, they were inspired they were intelligible, they were identifiable languages that had never, ever been learned and perfectly articulated in those precise dialects. Verse 6 of Acts 2 says, 
when, they, uh, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. When this sound, this sound, this powerful sound, this sound of supernatural worship, this sound of God the Holy Ghost energizing and empowering His people in the praises of the Almighty, when they heard this sound, they were pulled like magnets. They want to know what's going on here. This is God. They'd seen and heard plenty of demonstrations and protests and all kinds of noises going on in the temple precincts. This had never been heard before. The sound of God at work through his church. And it was completely supernatural. It opened the way for the gospel to be preached and for 3,000 to come into new life in Christ. Gifts and operations of the Holy Spirit are to prepare the way for the gospel. That's why we must never quench the Spirit. Right? I've known of churches where they have uh, <clears throat> actively discouraged speaking in tongues in certain services because they thought it would put off outsiders. Dangerous stuff. You must never be intimidated or embarrassed about the blessings of worshipping God in tongues. Amen. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, Therefore tongues are a for sign to unbelievers. Don't quench what God has ordained as a sign to unbelievers. Amen. And when these are the Holy Spirit is at work within us, let us not be afraid to express what God has created within us in the language which He has given us by the power of His Spirit. Amen. There's powerful uh, works of God to be experienced as we engage more and more in the freedom that Christ has, has brought to us and has been empowered to us by the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what Jesus uh, told the woman at the well. This was the fulfillment of it. He said, the, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Yes. The Father is seeking such. The Father's on the lookout for a people who will give full expression to what he has created and which will exalt his son and the mighty work he's accomplished at the cross. The Father's on the lookout. This is what church is as God intends it to be. Amen. A mighty worshipping force on earth. When Paul told Timothy that the church is the pillar and ground of truth, and how many times have I heard that in uh, my early formative years when people are always arguing arguing about various aspects of Bible truth and so on. Well, when Paul said to, to, to Timothy, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth, he was not referring to a library of dusty volumes on theology. He was, he meant the vibrant, dynamic expression of God's truth, evident in the believer's life. And supernatural, supernatural worship is fundamental to that. Amen? The church as God intends... Has to, it has to be supernatural worship at the center of all its ministries and activities. Don't let anyone quench, downplay, or undermine or relegate to supernatural worship as something that is just an add-on or a bit part to the church program. No, it's fundamental. It is absolutely fundamental to the workings of God's Spirit in his church, he's constantly, the Father's constantly looking for that full expression of this supernatural worship. Why? Because 
By this means, see this, friends, see it from Acts 2. By this means, God works to bring in kingdom power and authority released in ministering to hearts and lives. Amen? Amen. Supernatural worship breaks open the way for God to bring in His kingdom power and authority to minister to hearts and lives. Here it was on the, on the day of Pentecost. What was it that got, grabbed their attention? It was supernatural worship. And what was the result? The gospel preached and 3,000 coming into the kingdom. Amen. Supernatural worship is a key to every ministry in the church. I told you before, on occasion when I was in Sao Paulo in Brazil, saw the man come in with his right leg like a letter S, holding, uh, stumping in on a crutch. I saw him going in at the beginning of the meeting. I saw him at the end of the meeting where his crutch was not there and his leg was perfectly straight. Nobody had prayed for him. Nobody had laid hands on him. But in the mighty atmosphere of worship, in that meeting, the power of God came upon him and he was completely healed. Oh, friends, there is... It's, it's a worship, supernatural worship is powerful, it's attractive, it's influential, and it's at the very center of God's redemptive purpose. Amen. So what is church? In, uh, what does church look like in God's opinion? Number one, supernatural worship. Number two, supernatural boldness. The first thing the crowd saw and heard was supernatural worship. And the second amazing sight and sound that gripped the onlookers on that day was Peter and the apostles taking center stage. Who do they think they are? Right? Can you believe it? I mean, if you had been in that crowd and you had seen Peter and his merry band standing there and their recent history was not good. Right? After the tumult surrounding the crucifixion, they'd all disappeared like rabbits down a hole. For weeks they'd kept well below the parapet. But now here they are, standing bold as brass. It says, but Peter stood up with the eleven. That could never have happened without the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Why? Because people in that crowd, that he and the others, were a bunch of lying, blaspheming cowards. That's no exaggeration. It's all there in the gospel narrative. Right? They knew these guys had run away. They knew that they had denied uh, the Savior in his hour of need. They'd heard Peter's foul mouth. Right? And now here he is. And 120 with him, standing bold as brass, Peter stood up with the 11. Miraculous. Glorious. Hallelujah. Peter, for Peter to stand and speak to that crowd who were fully aware of his recent track record, it would have taken more than a bottle of, uh, of um, you know what, Johnny Walkers to get him up there. It took the fire and power of God himself in the person of God the Holy Spirit to clothe him with supernatural boldness to confront that community. Yes. From behind locked doors in the upper room, 
says quite clearly, that's how they met. They were in the upper room and the doors were locked for fear of the Jews, says in John's Gospel. But the apostles were transformed in a matter of hours to a band of brothers who were facing the hostility and ridicule of thousands head on. Only the Holy Spirit can release us from behind locked doors. <coughs> Amen. Amen. And we all know what it is to fear and to, and to be intimidated and to go through all of those kinds of emotions. But listen, friends, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of these people in the upper room was not to give them a nice time in their little holy huddle behind locked doors. It was a tsunami wave of the Holy Ghost that swept them out from the upper room and into the public arena where God could display his kingdom power and authority through them. Amen. The Holy Spirit is not just to give us a nice little thrill in our little comfort zone. It's the empowering of our life for service. You shall be witnesses to me, said Jesus. You shall be my martyrs, in other words. And that is only made possible by the outpouring of the Spirit of God in our life. Boldness is needed for battle. And this is the central purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. Boldness, key characteristic, as you read through the Acts of the Apostles, as you know, is a key characteristic of the early church. They prayed for it, they received it, and they demonstrated. Whenever they were in a jam, Lord grant that with all boldness we may preach your word. Amen. And the Holy Ghost came upon them, and the place where they were was shaken again. Amen. Constant inflow of this mighty energy of God the Holy Spirit. And we need this boldness. Boldness isn't being rude and offensive, although the message will inevitably offend some. But here it means assurance. It means confidence. It means frankness and authority. Amen. And we need that in the church of Jesus Christ today. If ever there was a day where we need that holy boldness, it's today. A man wrote in the Spectator magazine just a few months ago, on the subject of Christians in the present world. He said, people of faith are being driven from public life. People here are not being persecuted, as some of our African brothers and sisters are. They know what real persecution is there. But here in the UK and the Western world, we are gradually being edged out. We are being told that we are offensive and hateful. We are being urged to live and let live. Right? And you see that more and more. Our positions of influence being eroded. The testimony of our history as a Christian nation eroded more and more. We need this boldness. That power that caused Peter to stand on the day of Pentecost, we need it right here in this church, in this town, Christians everywhere. We need to be filled with the Holy Ghost and this holy boldness to give us power to stand and confront people and the issues of our day. A Croatian MEP in the European, European Parliament, a strong Christian. And he told someone recently that there are many Christians in the European Parliament. But they never speak out. Because they are afraid of the consequences of being ridiculed or sidelined from holding positions of influence in some department or other. Mm -mm -mm. We need this Holy boldness. 
Friends, we need this boldness to shake off intimidation and the lie that we as Christians are an irrelevant minority. We are not. Okay? 51% of the UK population still confirm their religion as Christian. Okay? We're not an irrelevant minority. The Anglican and the tra traditional churches may be in decline, but listen, the trend for new church growth has been going on in Pentecostal, charismatic, and non-traditional churches for at least the last decade, and it's set to continue. If you look at the graph of church growth, look at Pentecostal, charismatic, it's rising and rising and projected to keep on rising well over the next decade. Right? God is on the move. Amen. Amen. May not be in, in Anglican and, and traditional churches, but God is on the move. And we must not just be intimidated and feel like we've got to find our own little upper room where we can lock the doors and be safe. No, God wants to ignite holy fire in our heart that illuminates the darkness around us, pierces and penetrates. And we must know what it is to stand as Peter stood in the authority of the anointing. Hallelujah. There's an authority that comes with the anointing. He knew he was clothed with a new authority. And that authority comes only by the gifts and, and, and empowerings of God, the Holy Spirit, right? Listen, friend, the significance of our life only takes shape by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Mm -mm. Whatever else you may achieve in life, the true significance of our life is only shaped by the anointing of the Holy Spirit because what he does is for eternity. Amen. David would have remained a shepherd all his days. Good one, perhaps. But the anointing shaped his future. 120 disciples would have lived out their days in fear and insignificance in their little holy huddle, meeting in some obscure upper room. But the anointing shaped their destiny. Right. God wants to get hold of us. My friend, God wants to get hold of you. In your own eyes, you may think you're a nobody, and that's absolutely true. You are. Right? In the flesh. But you are precious in his sight. You are valued by the precious blood of Jesus. You have been redeemed for purpose. And God wants to shape your destiny by empowering you with his Holy Spirit. Amen? There are things outside of your imagination that he wants to accomplish through you. Amen. Whatever dreams you dream, however big they may be, they cannot come anywhere close to the big dreams that God has for you. Amen. In his book, all your days were written. That doesn't simply mean the number of days. It means the purpose as well. God has written your history. And he doesn't want you to be robbed of it. He wants you to be filled with his Holy Spirit. We must stand as Peter stood in the authority of the prophetic word. Peter knew that he was living in that moment of prophetic fulfillment. He was able to say, this that you are seeing and hearing, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Right. And that wasn't a one-off because Joel's prophecy is still ongoing, friends. Amen? And we are the prophetic people. Oh, for the days of the old wooden pulpits, boys, when everything was all nicely laid out. 
We are a people who are, who are to stand in the authority of the prophetic word. I believe what, what Peter announced on the day of Pentecost, this is the fulfillment of Joel's words. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Di da di da. Right? I believe that stream is still flowing. That river is still flowing. Every day, if you're in our living room at our prayer time, you will hear Sonia and myself pray the fulfillment of Joel's, Joel's words into our family. Amen. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Amen. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, under that prophetic anointing. Right? Prophesying, declaring the word of God to their generation. This, this river is still flowing. What Peter announced on the day of Pentecost, we are in that stream. We, he stood in that prophetic anointing. We are standing in that same prophetic anointing. The river of God is flowing and God wants to catch us up and take us on. Must resist this tendency. I see, I don't do a lot on Facebook, but some dear friends, they are perpetually banging on about Brexit. How many people here this morning haven't yet heard enough about Brexit. Please raise your hand. All right? And we will send you for counseling. Right. But we, this can get on top of us. It can get into our minds and, and thinking and imagination and we can get carried along. It's the headlines and in the newspapers and on, constantly on the news, a barrage of politicos voicing their opinions and, and so on. Listen, friends, let's get back to basics. We are a prophetic people, right? We are a prophetic people. We stand in the authority of the prophetic word, and this is what gives us our distinctive edge. Does Brexit matter? Yes, it does. Do you have an opinion? Yes, I do. But that is parked on the side of the vital matters of life compared to this business of living for the kingdom of God Hallelujah. and living in the power of His Spirit yeah. and letting His prophetic anointing flow through us so that those who are in turmoil, those who are uh, looking for answers, they will come and recognize there's a light shining in this darkness Amen. and it's there in the saints of God, there in the church of Jesus Christ. That's what makes people sit up and take notice. We have a, a completely different perspective. We have a different worldview. We see beyond Brexit. We see beyond Europe and the nations. We see that one who so triumphed at the cross. He has become rightly King of kings and Lord of lords. And his feet are going to stand on Mount of Olives. And every tongue is going to confess. And every knee is going to bow and declare he is the King. He is the Lord of glory. He is the only one. We are prophetic people. That is what is in view in our heart and mind as we are caught up in the, in the journey of life. And this is why the empowering of the Spirit enables us to bring hope to those who are around about us. We're not in it for the intellectual and political argument and debate. We are here to bring light into the darkness. Amen? And it's the empowering of the Spirit that enables us to do that. We must stand as Peter stood in the authority of the Great Commission. However, Peter, however badly Peter had stumbled and failed in his journey, as a disciple, he knew this was a new day. This was a new day. Right? This empowering of the Holy Spirit brought him into that certainty of the call of Jesus upon his life. 
You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. And for Peter, that was no longer theory, no longer history. It was now reality. And he was launched into his ministry as a fisher of men. And how powerful he was. And that same commission has been given to us. And this is the central call of God upon our life and upon the church of Jesus Christ. And it's this glorious empowerment from the, by the Holy Spirit that releases us from our inhibitions, from our fears, from all those traits of personality that would hold us back. The Holy Spirit brings release from all of that. And he launches us into the harvest field, bringing much fruit to the kingdom of God. The third and final thing that I want to hit today, I'll shout when I've got to shut up. Shout. A lot of people told me to shut up in my life. <laughs> Nothing new. Yes, you, you, you throw things as long as, uh, as long as it's got a number 5 or a number 10 or a number 20 or a number 50 on it, okay? Not the, not the coins, the folding stuff. That's what we want. All right. So the third powerful impact to hit the startled crowd came from Peter's message. It was supernatural both in content and in effect. Very interesting to look at this. You know, people have hurled uh, criticisms at Charismatics and Pentecostals as though they're people out of control. Well, Peter wasn't so caught up in the emotional thrill and excitement of this new experience that he lost perspective on God's purpose in that vital moment. Peter's testimony of receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit emphatically shows that we are never out of our mind, never out of control when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Amen. The Holy Spirit never, ever violates our will. Demon powers do. The demoniac of Gadara could not control himself. He couldn't go where he wanted, couldn't do what he wanted. Why? Because he was completely demonized. That's the kingdom of darkness. But in the kingdom of light, the Holy Spirit never violates our will. Right? He respects the choice you make and... He tries to edge us into the right decisions because he wants us to avoid nasty consequences. So Peter answered the critics' suggestion they were drunk, that they'd lost control. Lucidly, logically, powerfully, he explains the origin and significance of all that they had seen and heard. And so he, he rises, he stands, and the fire of the Holy Spirit ignites the truth that had been deposited in his heart. All those years of teaching by the Savior, suddenly there's a fire that ignites that truth and it pours from his lips in such power and, and such clarity and impacts those around about us. Look at the content of Peter's message. Immediately, Peter pointed to the scriptures for the explanation of what they were seeing and hearing and he quotes great chunks of Joel's prophecy and Psalms. Are we afraid to quote the Bible to people? Have we been seduced into thinking, well, this is not uh, a generation or, or so who have uh, lost any acquaintance with Bible terminology? Have we backed off from quoting the Scriptures? I want to suggest this morning that we must not do that. That there is power in quoting the Word of God. And that though people may be unacquainted with Bible expressions and, 
and Bible quotations. They might not understand anything about the Bible. There is life and power in the Word of God. Amen? There's life and power. And when you quote it, they may not understand the context, etc. But in those words, they can be an arrow that strikes right to the heart and the mind. That is why Billy Graham, greatest evangelist of the 20th century, and he filled his preaching with Bible quotations. Constantly throughout his sermon, you would hear him say, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. What is that? It's releasing that life and power of truth and letting the Holy Spirit take it and pierce hearts and thousands, tens of thousands were converted. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher of the 19th century. In his day, there was a great controversy and argument in the evangelical churches about the, about the inerrancy of the Bible, and Spurgeon refused to get caught up in it. He said, defend the Bible? He said, you don't have to defend a lion. Just open the cage and let the lion out. Right? And that's what we, friends, when it comes to our witnessing and the things that we wanted to get across to people, don't be afraid to quote the word of God. It's living, it's quick and powerful. That's why you look at the impact of Peter's message. It says they were cut to the heart. They were pierced right through. And they cried out, what shall we do? Peter's message was confrontational. It was uncompromising. And we are living in a day when we are continually being put on the back foot. Right? You mustn't say that. No, that's offensive. You're upsetting people if you say that. Now, we do not want to be offensive. We don't go out of our way to cause difficulties and, uh, and problems to people. We are not those who, like in some religions, go around bombing and stabbing in order to try and make our point that this is... The, no, we are those who love those who persecute us. We are those who are here to declare that love in a very, very verbal way. And that is to declare the gospel, the only gospel that can save them from a lost eternity. Peter's message was conf confrontational. Right. It was uncompromising and that's how we have to be in explaining the truth Jesus is risen from the dead yes he is yes he is there's no other savior under heaven by which we must be saved his name is Jesus no other way right and we have to stand and we have to declare it and let God work by the power of His Spirit. Let people get mad or, or whatever. We're not out to make them mad. But we do have to declare the truth. All, road, all, all, all religions lead to God. No, they don't. And we need to be, stop people in their tracks. No, excuse me. They don't all lead to God. There's only one who is the way, the truth, and the life. His name's Jesus. Right? And there's too much of this fuzzy thinking. These, these little religious sound bites to try and make people feel good. Can you believe it? An Anglican vicar has had to be rebuked by his diocesan bishop because he, he was going to open his church for Ramadan so that they come and, and, and celebrate Ramadan in the Anglican church. And he was going to cover up the cross, the crucifix, whatever. He was going to hide it all. Right? 
And the bishop said, no, you're not going to do that. That's against the laws of the Church of England. You can't do it. What kind of thinking is it? And, well, we can embrace everybody, all religions, under one common roof. That will ultimately come by Antichrist. But right now, we are stay, standing and declaring, no, there is no foundation for salvation other than the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. We have to declare. Peter didn't engage in fluffy theological argument or religious semantics. His message centered on Jesus. Amen. Centered on Jesus. And uh, nothing other than Jesus and what, had, what they had done to him. And uh, this is what brought out this tremendous response. He proclaimed Jesus and they said, what are we going to do? What can we do? I've been more, in more meetings than I can shake a stick at where the preacher has been pleading with people to make a decision. On the day of Pentecost, it wasn't the preacher asking for a decision, it was they. Yeah. What shall we do? What can we do? Amen. The Holy Ghost bringing such conviction. Right? The Holy Spirit powerfully, powerfully working. And... Uh, when they cried out, what shall we do? That, I believe, is still the heart cry of multitudes. Yeah. Yeah. What shall we do? They may not verbalize it as they did on the, that day in, in Jerusalem. But I believe people are open to the gospel. I believe people are looking for an answer. I believe this is a day of great, great opportunity. I have to tell you, friends, I never find any difficulty in witnessing one-on-one. -on -one. Sonia and I were in a, a restaurant not too long ago and uh, a young guy serving us uh, was a, a university student trying to earn some money, just chatting to him. He said, uh, you know, it's a new chapter of his life beginning to open up and et cetera, et cetera. So when I went to pay the bill, I just quite looked at him. So I said, turn in the page for a new chapter. Yeah, yes, he said, yes. I said, well, I want to tell you that there's someone who has already written good things for you. Yeah. If you just hold hands with him, he'll walk you through it. He wants to be real in your life. I said, have you ever heard anybody talk like this before? And he, he looked and he acknowledged, we're just links in a chain. We sow here, somebody waters there. But God's at work. And people are still saying, what shall I do? What shall I do? And we're the people with the answer. Oh, God, come, fill us with your spirit that we may buy up the opportunities. Man comes to our house to fit a new kitchen appliance. Of course, he's a captured audience, isn't he? I'm <laughs> oh, just, just talking to him. And uh, there in our kitchen, just talking to him. The guy... Big, burly guy, man's man, right? Seen it, done it. Just telling him about the changes that Jesus has made in our life, about the things he's done for us. And the guy is profoundly moved. Sea of waters, watery eyes, right? How has that come about? God knows where there are hearts that are seeking him. God knows where there are thirsty souls. And we are here for such a time as this, friend. We have come to the kingdom for such 
a time as this. People looking for the answers, and we have the message, but we need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And He will come to our aid. He will answer our cry if we get serious about the business. What does God think His church on earth should look like? The first occurrence in Acts 2 tells us He expects His church to be highly visible and clearly audible. God intends His church to be seen and heard in every strata of society. The Holy Spirit, I believe, friends, I believe this with all my heart. He wants to raise us to new levels of supernatural worship. Thank God for where we are. Thank God from where we've come. But God wants to take us to new levels. Let us not be afraid to be worshipping God in other tongues. Let's not be embarrassed or uninhibited. We're not doing it to show off. We're doing it to freely express what God has blessed His church with for very good reason, to exalt His name and to pave the way for kingdom power to be released. He wants to come and release us from our fears and inhibitions and clothe us with boldness and authority that impacts those around about us. The Holy Spirit, friend, He wants to inflame our hearts and speak out through our life and lips this message that the world so desperately, desperately needs. So the Conservative Party need, need a new leader. So what's going to happen about Brexit? I tell you, friends, all that pales into insignificance in this respect, that we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, for the fire to burn so intensely that the voice of God sounds in our nation through his church again. But what happened in the days of William Booth, what happened in the days of Wesley's and Whitfield, what happened in the days of, of Evans in, uh, in Wales, Evan Roberts, right? God wants to supersede all of that with the mightiest outpouring of, the, of his spirit that gathers in the great harvest and hastens his return. Amen. Are you looking for that? Are you anticipating that? Are you up for it? You want God to come in power and life and authority in your heart, right, in your family circle. Let's just pray for a moment. <clears throat> just in the privacy of your own thoughts and your own heart, just say to God what you feel you, you need to say, Lord, I need more of your spirit. I want to know this supernatural worship and a new dimension in my life, in my own private world, as well as in the, in the fellowship of uh, the church. I want that boldness, oh God. I want to come out from the fears of the upper room. I don't want to be shut in. I want to be shining bright. Please, Lord, come in power and embolden me. Embolden me. Put that fire in my heart so that your gospel is on my lips. And I have that message that pierces, that cuts to the heart and causes people to turn to you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, you will bless your word to every heart in this place and bring fruit from it to the praise of your great name. Amen. <clears throat>
the word of the Lord is not just to entertain us. It's not just to fill a couple of hours, but it's to transform and impact our lives. So I want to encourage you as, as you leave this morning, take hold of that word. Pursue a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your life. Pursue all that God's got for us because we are here to make a difference. There is a harvest waiting for you and me. There are souls waiting to be saved. And, and we can't do it without this anointing. We cannot do it without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So I would encourage you, pursue it with all of your heart. Cry out to God, not just here in the meetings, but in your daily walk. Cry out to God, more of you, more of your Holy Spirit, more of your anointing. Because there is so much more for us to encounter. We thank God for what we've already encountered, don't we? And every one of us that has encountered a touch of his Holy Spirit, we thank God for that. But we, we look at those scriptures and we see there is deeper, deeper realms for us. There is a more of an anointing to go for. There's more of an outpouring. So let's keep continuing. Let's keep pursuing him. I'm just going to finish by praying. So Father, in our hearts this morning... We ask that you will give us a heart that says yes to your word. We ask that gives, you will give us a heart that cries out for this outpouring, that, Father, you would overwhelm us with your Holy Spirit in the same way that you did for those disciples, that your anointing would fall so strong on us, that, Lord, we would carry that into this world, Lord, that we would be make seeing transformation through the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a blessed week. May your week be blessed with fruitfulness and joy and fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we've still got time for finishing tea and coffee. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>